0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith, Dusty, we're all ready to go over this Penn State 41-13 victory over the Northwestern Wildcats from Saturday night. Look, they covered the spread. Nothing else really matters uh, beyond
2: that, right? <laughs> I mean, generally that's an indication of of overperformance, right? Like you, you performance beyond expectation. Now there's always nuance to that, right? There's, there was nuance to that in the West Virginia win. There's nuance to it in this Northwestern win where you limp through what? 30, minute, 30 minutes of game time, you, you limp through that and go 10-10 at the half. Um, so there's all that. But in the end, I mean, they they did what was necessary. They did what it took. And it's like this team's 5-0 and nobody is satisfied, right? Like the fan base is not satisfied at all. And to me, it's like if you're 5-0, if you've covered the spread five straight times, if you've scored 30-plus points five straight times – 12 straight overall dating back to last season. I mean, it's at a certain point you can complain about underperformance, but like the numbers still tell the story, you know, and this is, a, this has been a pretty consistent, you know, whether there's, you know, complimentary football as James Franklin likes to talk about where the defense plays a big part. Certainly they have, um, especially this season, but you know, they're still putting up points. They're still winning by large margins. Um, if, if you're looking at this and saying like the Penn state offense in particular, hasn't even come close to playing it's a game and there's still all this going on. i, mean, I still think it's, if you take a step back from it, uh, you're still, it's a, still a favorable spot because there's a lot of room to grow on that side. Dustin,
1: as a Penn state fan, let me just tell you, I am satisfied through five games. The fact that you're five
2: and oh. I think you're in the minority from what I've gathered hearing feedback in various locations from, from fans. I do think you're in the minority and that's okay. I mean, that's, that is a built in fun dynamic to college football. It's like the, the better your program is the more miserable you are about things.
1: Dustin, if, if yes, if you're a fan who's not part of the degenerates who are, 5 and 0 against the spread also. Yes, there is room <laughs> for some dissatisfaction. So let's talk about those things. Let's let's start with your big thoughts overall from this performance.
2: The the slow start thing, you know, I was really curious. Uh there are this was this was the the most ripe um opportunity for that. And you know, you're always trying to gauge the the personality of this team. You know, we've seen things along the way. And I think it's been promising overall in terms of the, the temperament and the approach and the consistency uh, of how they're ready to compete 11 AM local start uh, no matter what James Franklin did or didn't do in practice. I don't, I don't know if you can really fake that energy that, that that comes or doesn't come from, from the crowd or for the environment, the magnitude of the game. Uh, I think they were guilty probably for the first time this season of playing down, to the competition and, and that sluggish start, especially offensively, fumbling the opening kickoff, you know, that really, uh, when, when the team already collectively wa- was not quite there, uh, that was a big blow, I felt like. So there was that.
1: I, I want to kick in something with that, though, Dustin. Yes, the fumble on the kickoff, you think, okay, that slow start thing. And by the way, I hate that 11 a.m. local time. Just don't change your clocks, okay? Pretend you're still on Eastern time. And the other part to that, though, is the defense made such a stand. Three and out, Northwestern lost yardage, had to settle for a field goal. At that point, I called that the wake-up call, okay? I almost felt like that was a good thing. The fumble says, okay, guys, we actually got to focus on this game. Defense makes a stand, but it seemed to have zero effect on the offense.
2: I did think you know if you measured momentum in units, Penn State got a lot of those units back. But I feel like um the 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 part of this team that wasn't as prepared uh that what didn't have that competitive energy out of the gates it didn't translate there. Like I, I don't think it helped the offense at all to get that sudden, sudden blow. Um, and it, it did just kind of establish they hadn't turned the ball over at all this season. So it did kind of establish the, you know, the funkiness uh, there um, inconsistent offense, you know, lack of a rhythm. Uh, the, it's been a concern several times this season. And it was a concern again, but again, 30 plus points in this game. Again, forty-one uh, overall. Uh, the defense, man. I mean, this is every quarterback is affected. Like Ben Bryant has played a lot of football. He's been around. He's coming off a great game against Minnesota, and not only did the numbers tell the story, and we'll get into those numbers in terms of sacks and tackles for loss, but he was affected. You know, even even on downs where the the pass rush didn't get home. He, his clock was sped up, and that's the the ongoing effect of this defense. Like, yeah, of course, you know the the knockdowns, the hurries, the the sacks, the tackles for all that stuff matters. But in the end, I mean, everybody's seeing shadows. It's five for five with this defense. Everybody's seeing shadows, and that affects things too. So not just when you get the pressure there. So, um, so yeah, this this was another bit of confirmation, and it started that opening drive. You know the hopelessness was established right away for that Northwestern offense, and I don't think they ever really got over it. They 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 created some things, and they had that drive where you know the, there were some tackling issues as well. But um, uh, and and just like lastly, I just I have a lot of respect for for Northwestern, and I have a lot of respect for for David Braun. You know, I I don't know if I uh, assumed they were going zero and twelve, but I thought that that was very much. a a possible scenario for this team. So the fact that they won two games, the fact that they hung in there for 30 minutes, the fact that they're competing hard and they believe in in themselves, they're at a serious lack of talent, I think, and it's going to show up against these better teams. But they've already won at least one more game that I expected them to win this year. So I think they deserve a bit of credit for that first 30 minutes as well. Like Penn State shouldn't have been tied with them. They shouldn't have been trailing 10-3 the way that they were. But I I give a lot of respect to Northwestern for that as well.
1: Well, let's hit on that for a moment because I'm in agreement with you about Northwestern. And the fact that they went for it twice on fourth down, one with the fake punt and one just going for it on their own side of the 50-yard line. If one would truly look at analytics, analytically, it was the right thing to do, okay? It may not be the popular thing to do. And if you ask Northwestern fans, perhaps they wouldn't be so uh, excited about it. But I thought it was a smart move. It was a gutsy move. And it was them playing for the win, not just to hang in there, Dusty.
2: I think they knew at a, at a certain point, especially when their offense was on the field, that the status quo wasn't going to be good enough. You know, mathematically, wherever they were, where were they down? Maybe like two touchdowns uh, in, in those scenarios. Um, mathematically, like maybe you could make a case to punt it away there, but your offense was high, it was highly unlikely to march down the field and and keep up that way. They weren't going to punt it away, uh, and and try to get the ball back. That, 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 those tactics at a certain point in this game when Penn State had, had taken the momentum back, uh, I, I didn't disagree at all with the, with the moves to, to go for it. Um, Fake punt. I mean, the fake punt probably should have worked, but there was a real heads up play by a true freshman to to make sure that it didn't. Um, so yeah, I, I think risk reward. Their dynamics had to change in the second half, and they and they were going for it. You know, they weren't playing that stereotypical Big Ten football, trying to hold the line and and get the ball back and try to improve their their field position. No, they were they were being aggressive and going for it, and I respect that too. And I know we're a little just a. Tad off
1: tangent here, Dusty, with Northwestern. But I think it should also be pointed out. I'm with you. I thought, okay, maybe I, I didn't know what their out-of-conference schedule was, you know, before the season started. Would they sneak a couple wins in there? Certainly not a Big Ten game. Yeah. But I didn't realize just how bad the Big Ten West is. There might be a couple uh, more wins in there for them.
2: There there really might be. I mean, that everybody's down. You know, and and the Big Ten as a whole is down. You know, the 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 depth of the conference with Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. You know, Purdue had had its moments. Illinois last year was was a, a really pleasant surprise. Uh, the the depth in the Big Ten is is not there, and it's like you know you're kind of looking forward to ushering in USC and UCLA and. Washington, you know, you're, you're looking forward to bringing in Oregon, you're looking forward to bringing these teams. And uh, especially when you see the way things are going with the, with the rest of these schools. I mean, and you know, I, I, I think uh, it's uncommon, but it's, it's not like it's going to be the last time that, that the rest of these teams are, aren't what they need to be.
1: The other team you didn't mention Michigan state. Okay. Yes. Uh, just an awful team and I'm staying off tangent here a little bit because you keep bringing things up, <laughs> but yeah, th- those Pac-12 teams, by the way, Oregon, Washington, USC, they're all in the top 10. Yeah. Along with Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, if that if this group was already merged, you would have six of the top 10 teams. <laughs> Dustin, that's phenomenal.
2: I mean, there's that part of it, and I think that's the most meaningful part of it. But if you stacked the Big Ten and the Pac-12 side-by-side and you told somebody who didn't follow college football, can you tell me which conference is on its last leg and is is on its way out and is trying to just remain viable? Which one would you pick? It would be the one that has Indiana, Rutgers, uh, Michigan State, the one that has two coaches embroiled in controversy <laughs> in, the sa- in the same in the same season, you know that that would be the one that that that, that person would pick. Uh, I know it's temporary. I know it's the first time, but it's like you know Oregon State and Washington State have done some really good things. Oregon State just beat, beat Utah this past weekend. They're four and one, so the Pac-12 is is making things interesting. If they're if they're going down, they're going down in style.
1: They really are dusty, and you know you point out the 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 downfall of this conference, the big meaning the Big Ten with what's going on at Northwestern, what's going on at Michigan State. Oh, and by the way, they just got a billion dollar a year contract, you know. So it's absolute craziness. And the Pac twelve that's a spectacular conference. It really is, and we didn't even. Believe it or not, we talked Pac-12 and we didn't mention Deion Sanders in Colorado, which is probably the most interesting team in that conference as far as you see it with their TV numbers and the rest. All right, Dusty, that's it for quarter one. I promise I'm going to get back to the game in quarter two. How about that?
2: All right.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. And as promised, Dusty, we're going to get back to this Penn State Northwestern game. A 41-13 win. Despite that score, it was 10-10 to at halftime because Penn State scored late uh, to tie up the game, and the fault definitely was not on the defense. They played really well. So let's look at this offense. It's the slow start, and it's still everything that we've been talking about as an issue through the first four games of the season were still there. No explosive plays from the running backs. No explosive plays. Um, passing the ball, they didn't take any shots deep, at least not until the second half. So, what exactly is going wrong with this offense, Dusty? You're the expert. You tell us. Put your finger on the problem.
2: I won't tell anybody that you used air quotes when you when you said expert, but <laughs> I mean, I I think I'm probably seeing the same thing everybody else is seeing. I mean, uh, to, to have Katron Allen and Nick Singleton and to have no big runs through five weeks is not something I would have ever predicted. You know, Nick Singleton was a big run machine last year and the offensive line on paper was better. He made huge improvements throughout last, last year. You know, it, it seemed very safe to assume that, it was going to be hard for any defense to contain Nick Singleton, let alone a Northwestern defense that got gashed by the run by Minnesota the week before. You know, Penn State with their talent uh, up front, with their talent in the backfield, if Minnesota was doing that, absolutely Penn State should be. But every time a Penn State running back got got the ball, there were multiple, you know, opposite jerseys around. You know, and, and that that fundamentally is just, I mean, I never saw it coming. Uh, I would have, wouldn't would have predicted it going into the game, wouldn't have predicted it going into the season. So there's that part of it where there's just, it, it's just crowded near the line of scrimmage. And I think, you know, there is a part of that where teams are playing Penn State that way. And then because teams are playing Penn State that way, Penn State is playing that game and they seem okay with playing that game. And when you beat Iowa 31-0 and you are playing that game to, at such a high level, okay, that's fine. But it does seem like at this point in time that Penn State is allowing opponents to dictate how they go about calling plays and, and what they're trying to do offensively. And we've had this conversation before, uh, certainly when things were going worse than they, than they are now, about saying, okay, when is Penn State going to dictate how, how the other team is doing things? And so it does seem like it's the other way around now. Um, part of that, you know, I, I kind of think about it like, okay, what are they holding back for for the real meat of the schedule? Have they been able, have they been able to get to this point and they've covered the spread in five straight games? Have they been been able to get to this point without showing what they could do downfield? But then, all right, then on the flip side of that, uh, if if losing Trey Wallace for a few games. Uh, can be that prohibitive to the offense, the offense probably isn't built well enough at this point in time to create big plays down the field. So I think there's, there, there's some of Penn state taking what they're given and that's fine a lot. Uh, they're not doing enough with, with what's being given to them to make opponents change anything. You know why at this point in time, why would you not um, keep playing Penn state the way opponents are, are playing them? Um, you know, you look back at the, I think the, the through five games, The only real anomaly in terms of how the other team defensively approached them was West Virginia in week one. And that's where we saw all those Drew Aller throws. That's when he was making it rain in week one. And we haven't seen that since. Um, I think maybe the bye week is a good time to self-scout and self-evaluate and and try to figure out, you know, when it's appropriate to take shots. Uh, The running game, you know, I, I think it's important if other teams are playing this way. Big plays in the running game, I think, are imperative to shake up how, how the other team is approaching it. So without creating those big plays in the running game, you're not getting any changes to how they're defending Drew Aller. So I think there's part of that there. And there's a there's probably some chicken and egg there too. Any big plays in the passing game would create big plays in the running game as well. The bottom line is neither one of them is happening. So there is no chicken and there is no egg at this point in time.
1: Well, Dusty, and I, I do want to talk about Drew Aller a bit, but first let's look at, the play calling, and what I'm wondering is, are they stagnant with it? And, you know, I've talked about this for for years. First down is the easiest down to pass the ball, okay? That, I think, is when your biggest threat is. And it feels like, Penn State, we are just going to insist on running the ball and establish that we can. And it doesn't matter what, it, and it'll pay off in the end. And maybe they're right. Maybe they wore, you know, uh, Northwestern down by running the ball so much. But I, I went and took a look at and tallied up what they did on first down. And they had 24 first down plays. 14 of them were running plays for a total of 59 yards. But seven of those 14, they ran the ball for three yards or less. Not as successful first down they threw the ball 10 times and were 7 of 10 throwing the ball on first down for 81 yards and by the way um one two three four five out of their last six first downs ironically they threw the ball yeah so there was a lot of making up at the end to get the stats yeah. even that close
2: yeah do, and you want and you want to have more of that there uh, Bo Prabola threw one of those, It was one of those first downs, right? That that, that was that was yes. one of them. So uh, so that skewed the numbers a little bit. That thirty yard touchdown skewed the numbers a, a wee bit um, as well. Yeah, I mean, truly, like when you're th- talking about down on distance, and you're talking about staying ahead of schedule or getting or being behind schedule, I mean, first and ten is really like the only real neutral down. Because if you get five yards, you're in a favorable down on distance, second and five. If you throw it incomplete, you're second and 10. It's an unfavorable position. There's, you know, first and 10 is a really neutral way to go about trying to attack. And again, like I, I, I go back and forth, like I, on one hand, I can definitely see the explanation as, you know, James Franklin sticking to this, like, this is our identity thing, and um, talking about comp- I, I think maybe the thought process, be- process being complementing what their defense is doing by not putting their defense in bad spots by playing ball control. Like that might be part of the thought process, but I, I think there there's talent enough on this offense that the Penn state offense can be going out there and winning games. You know, you can, I don't think you can, you can take that off the table just to play complimentary with what your defense is doing. I get it. Uh, but then another part of me is like, man, they they've been, they've been so uh, vanilla, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, that maybe, just maybe, they've recognized that they don't have to get into, you know, the back half of the playbook to keep marching on. Like, they're they're able to keep riding this defense, and they're able to keep getting Drew Aller ba- valuable snaps and things like that. Maybe that's part of it, too, is like, the defense is playing lights out. Let's just not screw that up with the offense. Let's just march and march and march. Uh, and then later on in the year, uh, we'll be able to do that, but you know what? Drew Aller has five starts under his belt. You can't assume that you can just flip the switch and you're going to start dropping dimes fifty yards down the field. Like I, I feel like you need to, you need to work that stuff in there more than they have.
1: I agree with you, Dustin. And whatever happened to those uh, wide receiver screens early? That hey, that's. We could do that in place of the running game. It's as good as a run or as safe as a run, and we're getting five or six yards out of it and the other part, and again, these are common things that I've brought up before, but I'm waiting for it to change is the read option the option part to it is the quarterback keeps the ball and runs with it now they've established they're willing to have Drew Aller run the ball on those quarterback sneaks. They've had quarterback planned quarterback keepers where he runs the ball. Why can't they let him pull the ball out of the running back and run with it? They've done it, as far as I can recall, one time. They did it last week, and he, he got a first down on it. But I feel like when I rewatch the game and I watch those plays, the defense is just saying, hey, it's the running back has it. That's where I'm headed because I'm pretty confident the quarterback isn't going to take it.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think in a general sense, Drew Aller has been a bigger running threat. Uh, he's had more success running the ball than I would have anticipated through five games. But in, in the sense that you're describing, it does feel like, you know, the read part of it and different quarterbacks are going to have different qualifications for the reads I think and I think Drew Aller has a hand the ball to the running back unless it's beat you over the head obvious that you should keep it right if there's any doubt whatsoever hand it off like that seems to me like the the, the general sense of of how he's going into these read option plays like he's not just choosing necessarily to, to keep it and be conservative all on his own I think I think there's some of that too but uh, I, a lot of this stuff I mean how much confidence do you have in the bye week and being able to self-scout and being able to kind of go back to the drawing board and make adjustments uh, when you have that opportunity to take a breath? Like, do you think the coaching staff uh, can recognize and change these things? Like I have confidence in Mike Yursich. Um, You know, I thought, I thought he was phenomenal last year as a play caller. Uh, and, you know, all these factors change um, from year to year, but like, you know, two years ago, it was so promising early the first couple of weeks in the season. And then it seemed to get uh, stuck in a rut for a lot of a lot of the 2021 season. But then now last year was creative all year. And now it's like they, they're stuck in a rut again. So I, I want to see them get out of that rut uh, by whatever means they need to. Maybe looking at the film and, and really assessing how they're calling plays. Maybe they'll be able to find some truths that they can adjust.
1: Let me throw a theory out to you, Dusty. I feel like James Franklin is so analytical and if he ever sees something happen that's negative for his team, he vows never to have that happen again. We've talked often about the backup quarterback. He never played the backup quarterback and he got burned by it against Iowa a couple years ago. The talk last year when they lost to Michigan was, you know what happened? Michigan outcoached them. They did nothing like what they had done the The rest of the season. They changed everything that game went against type on every play. Is James Franklin trying to repeat that on his side? Okay, we're gonna set up. This is what we do. Here's our MO. He's setting up Ohio State and Michigan.
2: Maybe. Maybe you're giving James Franklin too much credit. Uh, but I I can see you being right there. But I think the way these games have gone and the opponents and the, the circumstances with the defense, there was no reason to change the risk-reward dynamic on offense. They didn't ha- they don't, haven't had to take risks yet. They haven't had to open up the playbook yet. And so they haven't. Like, I think it might just be that simple.
1: It very well could be, Dusty. All right, that's it for quarter two. Still got lots more to go. Stick with us.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
2: Hello
1: and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. We're continuing our review of the Penn State win over Northwestern 41-13 on Saturday night. And we're talking about some of the struggles on offense. We talked about the running game, Dusty. We talked about how the play calling went. I want to talk to you about Drew Aller and his performance. We saw a lot of, boy, he wants that pass back, I'm sure. And the other one we saw is the proverbial, he's not on the same page with his receivers. And my first instinct, especially at looking at the statistics after the game where Dante Cephas was targeted seven times with only two completions, I said, oh, that's probably where it is, right? Well, no, it was also with Keandre Lambert-Smith. More than once, there was, was that play where Drew Aller, he expected him to go out when he went in or vice versa. What is going on And Is this causing you any concern?
2: No, because I mean, I think you have to view it in the big picture and, you know, still understand that even though he is freakishly talented and he absolutely is, uh, Drew Aller still has not experienced a lot of these sensations, you know, And, and these are the sensations that you don't get by coming in and spot duty, you know, you, you know, starting a game and starting a game when the momentum is working against you from, from the jump is something that you hadn't really been a part of before. And I don't know if, if things would have been different, if, if the Penn State would have gotten off to a, a hotter start or whatever. You know, may, Maybe things would have been different early. But to me, this was you know the, the, the two things that I felt like I saw for the first time were, number one, Drew Aller not really trusting what he saw you know and 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 i think there there was just shakiness in in terms of that and then on on the throws and you're very you're right that there were two really different scenarios playing out why the ball hit the turf you know uh 15 out of 33 times which defies his percentages um, the other one was I, I didn't think he was throwing it with conviction. Like, I think there were, were times where he was trying to steer it and guide it, that he was he, he was tentative. He wasn't following through uh, with his motion the way that he should have. Because we saw through the first four games, like whether it was a touch throw, a zip throw, a fastball, whatever it was, he generally threw it with very smooth, consistent mechanics. And in this one, you know, there, I, I can think of several. Like I think the Theo Johnson overthrow in the end zone was one. Uh, there was a third down in the middle of the field where he really tried to guide one in there. Um, and that was that. the one that I'm thinking of. I wish I could think of who. I think it might have been Keandre Lambert-Smith on, on the receiving end there. Uh, that was both, that was like not trusting what he was seeing and not trusting, uh, he was going to make that throw, even though it was a short throw. So there were, you know, there were, there were both of those dynamics. Now the, the good news is, um, I think he corrected a lot of that stuff in the second half. Like I saw a lot fewer, uh, throws being made with, with a a lack of confidence. And so now also, you know, he hasn't thrown an interception in, in five games, Uh, I can't really think of an interception worthy throw that he made uh, against Northwestern. And part of that's coaching and what we've already talked about in terms of being conservative, they're not putting the ball in jeopardy. You know, the number one way that Penn state is going to lose games with this defense that they have is to put the ball in jeopardy. Uh, And that doesn't include fumbles of course, with your, your running backs, but um, you know, so here he looked as bad as he's looked. Um, but he didn't, he didn't make any turnover worthy plays. And I think pro football focus tracks that kind of thing. So, you know, I look at it in totality and it was shaky. He was shaky physically and mentally, but I felt like halftime he was able to recalibrate and come out there and do a pretty good job, uh, in the second half <clears throat> as a thrower. So, yeah, I mean, he's five games into a starting career. Everything that he's ex- experiencing is a first for the most part. And this was that sleepy lack of environment coming off of the whiteout uh all all that stuff that was in play i think affected drew aller as much as if not more than anybody on the team when the quarterback's affected the entire offense is going to be affected there's no way around that
1: and i think dusty as critical as we have been and everybody seems to have been about this offense the the second half they scored four touchdowns and one field goal. So they scored five times in six possessions.
2: So there you that's go. Pr- it's hard to forget. It's hard to forget being down 10 3 in the second quarter and, and being tied 10 uh, in, 10 in the first half. You know, like I think that's hard to hard to shake, but it, it, it is encouraging that uh, improvement was made, both in terms of play calling, I think. And how they were how they were executing it. So, yeah, I mean, they still scored forty one points. Like they sucked, right? Like quote unquote, they sucked. But they scored forty one. You know, and a lot, a lot of teams, you know, a lot of teams in recent Penn State history would kill to suck and score forty one points.
1: Well, and and Dustin, and I'm going to use that as the segue to <laughs> move to the defense. Is yeah, they sucked in the first half, but how? Um, fragile a drive can be, especially when you are taking 12, 13, 14 plays to march down the field. One penalty, one misfire with a pass, and all of a sudden that drive stops. And in the first half, they scored on two out of five drives as opposed to five out of six. And we can probably find those mistakes on those three drives. But what you also have is a defense. and. By complimentary football, I think what they mean is this defense is just going to wreak havoc and be make the game very forgiving for the offense because, hey, no matter what position you put them in at like, the start of the game and the fumble and you give them the ball on the plus-12-yard line, Northwestern went backwards. This defense, Dusty, is that good.
2: Is it the best defense that they've had under James Franklin? Are you ready to make that declaration right now? Yes. I, I think in terms of like the, the numbers, like I, I don't, I, I didn't look at, um, and I couldn't even tell you which season they had the best, the, the, you know, the best defenses, but last year was, was one uh, I would, I would venture to say that the numbers across the board in terms of um, sacks, tackles for loss, hurries, et cetera, certainly points allowed yardage allowed all that stuff. You know, they're, if not they're the be- if they're, if they're not the best in the nation, they're among the best handful in the nation. You know statistically it's it's a much better defense than even last year. but I think talent- wise it's a much better defense uh, than it was last year. like I, I, th- I think it is the best too. and uh, it's you know I, strategically, I get it. you know if you're able to string together long drives and then you know you put up points, and then your defense just wrecks things and gets the other team off the field in three downs, you know, there's a lot of discouragement that comes with that, and there's a, a big-time feel of, like, you squeezing the life out of a game. So I understand the temptation to keep doing that, and that's a good way to compliment what your defense is doing for sure and keep them fresh, uh, err on the side of not putting your defense, you know, in bad positions. You put them in a solid position, you see what they can do. So I, I, I see all that. I get all that. But I don't think Penn State needs to needs to be content with that either. You know, I think the dynamic has to change a bit. And when you see them in a dogfight from the from minute one to minute sixty, maybe you start to see you know the the offense you know take on a different life. But uh, but yeah, I think it's great to it's easy to compliment that defense, right? Like, oh, you got to just don't screw it up, Drew. Here's the ball, don't screw it up.
1: Yes, and that's why I wonder, Dusty, if this constant pounding the ball, running it for three, four yards. James Franklin thinks, okay, by the second half, our defense is wreaking havoc. Our offense is is holding on to the ball. It's grinding away. It's going to wear down, especially when that opposing defense has to come out. They just were out here for a 12-play drive. The offense gives it up after three plays. Defense has to be back out there again and get pounded again that at what point do you say, Hey, this may just plain be the strategy. This is the way this team is going to play and try to win the game. And it's been pretty successful so far, Dusty.
2: Yeah. I mean, the the only hitch so far was in the first half of this game where, you know, I feel like through four weeks uh, when Drew Aller had a manageable throw, he was borderline automatic making that throw. And, you know, I, I I don't know if you really saw much difference. Like I think they were they weren't a, they weren't as successful. You know, with with getting, with staying ahead of the chains against Northwestern, especially in the first half. So there was that. But but Aller when when he's missing the throws that he's been automatic making, that's when you start to limp along a little bit. The formula is great when he's been automatic, and I think more more often than not he is going to be automatic. He is going to put the ball in the numbers, put them in the in the hands, get the ball to the, to the sideline. Um, so yeah, I, I think in general that formula can, can work, uh, but there are going to be two games and it's the two games that everybody knows the season is going to come down to where that formula probably isn't going to work. It's nice to be able to have that in your back pocket and know you can do it. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you got, you're going to have to, you're going to be in positions where you got to create big plays. You know, you're going to have to create when when Michigan's doing the same thing to you that you want to do to everybody else, you're going to have to change things up. And I, I don't, I don't know if I can, you can say that Penn State is incapable of doing it, but uh, they're going to have to do something in in those games that they haven't done yet.
1: And I do believe Dusty that they, they do miss Trey Wallace. And I know in that first game, I keep going back to it and it may have been during the off season. I was a big Trey Wallace advocate. So maybe I was searching for ways to find his value. But in that first game, Lambert Smith had the big play. He did. Take nothing away from that. Those home runs are nice. But Trey Wallace, eight targets, seven completions. That sticks with me. It really does. And I don't want to say that he was that, you know, comfortable. I, you know, drew Aller saying, I know I could always go there. He's the, my safety net, but it seemed like he was able to get open too, which is not something I am able to say about these other receivers.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's great because his catch radius is great because he's so athletic. Um, He can create separation. And in general, if you've got a team that cannot identify a third wide receiver, and then you take the second wide receiver away. Now you can't identify anything really, and that probably affects Keiondre Lambert Smith too in the way that he's covered. But opposing defenses have not had to have a lot of respect for the number two, number three, whoever's on the field besides Keiondre Lambert Smith and Harrison Wallace. The third, he brings that respect because he commands it. And if he, if he's, if you're able to hit him, you know, on short stuff, intermediate stuff it just makes the offense that much better. So I, I, I really do think they're missing him a lot because A, he's a good player, and B, they still don't have much certainty at all beyond him.
1: All right, Dusty. I tried. I tried to segue to the defense, and I failed. <laughs> I am committed to doing that for the fourth quarter. So just play ball with me, all right? Let's do it. Yeah, And you stay tuned. Stick with us.
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystonesportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Dustin, I'm um, Jim. Dustin, I promised. I promised we were going to talk about the Penn State defense. If we don't, it's on you. It means you changed the subject again. So let's let's talk about it. There were a couple of tackling issues that went on. There were a couple of those third and long where you get the quarterback scrambling to make a play. That is it. That is the end of the criticism of this defense. The rest, they took control of this game. They won the game. They were the difference in this game. And if Penn State's gonna go where it needs to get to, it's gonna be because of this defense. Am I wrong?
2: Yeah, and about that offensive line, I just have a lot of thoughts <laughs> up. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I I mean for sure. Without without question, you know, the odds of Penn State's defense being the best unit on the field for either side, it's pretty good for Maybe, I, I don't, I mean, maybe even Michigan and Ohio state, like it's, it's that good. Um, and it, that's produced the numbers to back it up so far. Uh, it's a, an explosive group. I think the, the, uh, ability to generate turnovers is a legitimate thing that they, that they've done so far. I mean, the numbers are a little askew. I think, I don't think you're going to see that same, you know, ratio all year, but, um, you know they they are so they create so much chaos up front um, that it's going to create chaos down the field too. It's going to create questionable decisions by the quarterback. It's going to create altered throws, rushed throws by, by quarterbacks. Uh, you're going to get strip sacks as we as we've seen. I mean the the ability to take the ball away is absolutely something that this group can keep on doing. So there, there's nothing fluky about that right now. The ability to get after the quarterback from either edge from linebackers, from safeties, from cornerbacks. Uh, but being able to rush four and win two one-on-one matchups. I mean, I, I think all that stuff is for real. I can't wait to see, you know, what this group is able to do and how they match up with the best offensive line they'll see, which is Michigan. Uh, are you still able to win one-on-one matchups, you know, with, with those guys? Do you have to scheme pressure or can you get it? I mean, I, I can't wait to see that. But this this group has been so remarkable, and so impressive because, you know, it starts, I think, with those edge rushers. Adisa Isaac is having a great year. I, I hope people appreciate that. You know, he he was the guy, like, the the third most exciting defensive end. And he's the guy who now leads the team and tackles for loss right now. Um, Deny Dennis Sutton is coming on strong. You are, you are seeing him start to make plays on a consistent basis. You know, several of these guys, Chop Robinson and Deny Dennis Sutton, both – can push their offensive lineman in the back and in, into the backfield or bend the edge and get after the passer in a more traditional sense. They can make inside moves, they can make outside moves. I mean, that group has been absolutely as good as advertised. The defensive tackles certainly against Northwestern were uh, it was promising how disruptive they really were. Because Zane Durant, speaking of being able to push your guy into the backfield or beat him off the snap, did that a bunch of times in this game. So that, that's encouraging and promising to see. I think Keziah Izzard um, is, is you know maybe the answer that we couldn't be sure he was going to be for that interior. So if you have Zane Durant and Keziah Izzard getting into the backfield, that's a huge um, solution to what we thought was going to be a problem. Um, but, yeah, th- this group, six sacks, 12 tackles for loss, six more quarterback hurries. I mean, they were living in Northwestern's backfield. And especially when you can build a lead – I mean, it is, it is an impossible thing uh, to, to counter. So, yeah, th- this group is, I don't know if you could. And, and I think the fact that we waited until quarter four to, to discuss these guys just shows like it's easy to take it for granted. But I hope people aren't. I hope people appreciate, you know, all this this explosiveness. It has been incredibly rare in State College. Uh, and and maybe, maybe it doesn't carry over in the next year or whatever. I think you need to appreciate how special this group is right now.
1: Well, Dusty, first of all, I'm going to put the blame on you. I tried to get hit the defense in the third quarter, and you quickly segued back to the offense. So I'm laying that on you, number one. You're the scapegoat. But also in talking about the defense, I think every color analyst is contractually obligated to say there are stars at every level on Penn State's defense. And they proceed to name Chop Robinson, Abdul Carter, and Kalen King. What I find really fascinating and promising is, and it's why I think this is going to go on beyond this year, is there are people who were outstanding at each level, not named Abdul Carter or Kalen King or Chop Robinson. I was ready to say not named King, but I'm going to name the other King. I thought Kobe King was all over the place. I thought KJ Winston was all over the place. You also mentioned Zane Durant, who, who had quite a game. And you also had, you know, some of these other defensive ends. You had Zariah Fisher, you know, making plays. So, Dusty, it's not just they have these superstars that you've got to deal with. They have the next level of stars that I don't know if they'll reach that superstar status, but they just might.
2: Yeah, and, and I think it's a great point about the depth. I mean, the, the depth that they have and the trust that they have in their depth and they're, the fact that they're able to keep rotating with without a lot of drop off you know we've seen groups in the past on the Penn, Penn State's defense in the past they've insisted on on rotating through guys to keep their their big guns fresh and you you could detect you could feel the drop off you saw the drop off you know to to do that in the second or third quarter and and to see you know the level of play drop there isn't a lot of drop you know, and, and I think uh, it, it allows these stars to be the best versions of themselves because they're able to be fresh for 60 minutes. And uh, I mean, again, that goes into the offense, the time of possession thing and all that. We're not going to talk about offense though, Jim, that's not why we're here right now. <laughs> um, so don't even, don't you tempted me into it. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, I think I didn't really get into this whenever you know we first started discussing this, but I think the fact that you run so deep, you know, with cornerbacks and DaQuan Hardy's been great through three weeks. He's been fantastic through three weeks. Uh, he missed the first two games. Uh, the fact that you your coverage is so sticky and so good, and you can trust your one, two, and three corners for sure. And you I think they trust Cam Miller. You can throw him in there. You trust those guys to be one on one with just about anybody. Boy, does it make it makes life miserable because the math is still in Penn State's favor on defense. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the depth, the the stickiness and coverage, the fact that, as you mentioned, K.J. Winston is fast becoming a player, you know, that as good as we thought he was going to be. I think we're, we're seeing really tangible growth from week one to now, especially recently. You're seeing really tangible growth from Zane Durant. Uh, same with the Dennis Sutton. Uh, I think Cam Miller is going to keep growing. Um, you know, I, like it, it was it was funky to me to see Keaton Ellis in this game in garbage time because you saw you know you you got a young corner or young safety in KJ Winston and you got Jalen Reed who's doing a good job. So the fact that that you've got veterans, you know, Zacky Wheatley and Keaton Ellis are are playing those snaps late. Boy, that that goes to show the the depth factor there. And I and I think at safety. Uh, that that depth factor is coming into play, you know. And a, a, at linebacker, if you're going into a, to for a former walk on and Don DeLuca, who's making game changing plays for you at linebacker, you know that's another point of depth. You know, you're you're getting real big plays from these guys who are not starters.
1: And I'll tell you another guy, just to drop one more name, because he got beaten up so badly. Is Tyler Elsden? I thought played a very good game, and yeah, he. His coverage, he was out there, but you also brought up a good point about you know watching DaQuan Hardy one on one. He did so well; the offensive player interfered with him. But it's all about still Dusty with all of that in the background. It's getting to the quarterback, and and the, it's affecting the quarterback. How often have we now seen those quarterbacks just dropping a snap because you know they're looking up; they need to see what's coming at them so quickly and I've now reached a point and you could go back to the Rose Bowl when the backup quarterback had to come in I just feel sorry when the backup quarterback has to come in they are the game is just too fast for them you end up getting a quarterback making perhaps the worst throw I've seen in college football on, on that interception of Daquan Hardy Daquan Hardy was wide open yeah. And he hit him between
2: the numbers. He did. He got jerseys confused or whatever the case was there. Uh, he had a first down running it. And that's what, you know, the backup quarterback, it's, it's a horrible spot to be in. But I think in general, um, speeding up the quarterback, you know, at this level of play, there just aren't a lot of quarterbacks who can make 15 anticipation throws in a game. And that's what they're trying to do. Like, even when there's not pressure, they're speeding it up and they're trying to anticipate and they're trying to throw it to a spot and everything's rushed. Um, and and it's, it's, it's twofold, you know, the pressure getting there so often and, you know, hot reads are hard to find, too because you're so sticky and you're so tight you're so aggressive you're so experienced on the outside the they're they're complementing each other right now the pass rush and those corners and Manny Diaz's play calling and the trust in that one-on-one coverage i mean it is all coming together in this sort of beautiful orchestra of chaos and takeaways
1: And I just want to bring up one thing, a little off topic, but still talking about the defense, Dusty, mentioning that Daquan Hardy play where the coverage was so good and there was offensive interference. I don't know if you caught this, on the sidelines, James Franklin was going crazy, getting on the official to throw that flag, make that call, just absolutely irate. And then declined the penalty. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know, I know. Yeah, I think it, it clearly was a principal thing in that situation. And you want—I think it was third and seventeen. It set up after after they declined. You want that? Uh, that's that's an opportunity for your guys to feast uh, again. So, but I, I think he just, he wants everything. He doesn't want to give up anything, and it doesn't matter what the margin of the game is. Like he he's not willing to give up a snap. Uh, he's not willing to give up anything.
1: Speaking of which. Last topic, the last play, and I'm going to jump over to the offense because I didn't get to ask you about Bo Probola's throw. Uh, it was for a touchdown. Did he fake going to a knee, Dusty?
2: That's not what I saw, and I and I and I, I get it. Uh, I took exception to the the BTN rules analyst saying as if it were a fact he was trying to fake a knee. That to me looked like a big jab step faking a quarterback draw because everybody in, in Evanston expected him to run there. I took it as a fake. Even when I watched it on replay several more times, I don't think there was a fake knee there and I'll, I'll stick with that.
1: I think there was dusty, but it's I'm like 70, 30 kind of deal on that. And you've got to be a hundred percent. If you're going to call a penalty like that, dusty, that is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you come back next time for the Keystone Kickoff Show.
2: Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their lion's den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today.
3: Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, But our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs,
1: and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.